You're listening to the Sexual Wellness Sessions with Kate Moyle. This episode was brought to you by MyHixel, the innovative solution to naturally improve men's climax control. MyHixel offers a revolutionary methodology combining their pleasure device with the MyHixel Play app to help men to feel more in control. Their men's sexual health products are developed with sexual health professionals and alongside research, and the MyHixel One device is registered as a medical product by the FDA. So today's guest on the sexual wellness sessions is the amazing Dr. Naomi Sutton, who works as a consultant physician working at the Integrated Sexual Health Service at the Rotherham NHS Foundation Trust. She featured as the doctor on the series, The Sex Clinic, the second series of which has recently aired on E4, and she is proud to be a trustee for the UK charity Saving Lives, a charity which exists to raise awareness of HIV and STI testing and reduce associated stigma. She's also an Eva Peel ambassador, a charity which raises awareness of the five gynecological cancers. Naomi, hello. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Um, We had an amazing chat a few weeks ago. We did. Entitled Safe Sex is Great Sex. And I felt that it was a really important subject and um, we could have talked for hours (laughs) about it. And I guess I really wanted to kind of follow that up with this podcast episode because sexual health has so often just been considered um, this idea of kind of having an STI screening and being clean, which is a word that we'll come back to that both of you and I really kind of um, felt quite strongly about. Yeah, exactly. And I guess what we were talking about was this idea of like sexual health testing being a part of sexual health, but actually sexual health is everything that encompasses our sexuality and the role that sex plays in our lives. And yeah. But the the focus of your work is very much about encouraging people to attend screenings yeah. and not be scared of screenings and not kind of fear all the horror stories about that. And we wanted to break down some of the myths and stigma around that. Yeah, yeah, and just get get people talking, really. I think communication is so important, and which is why, yeah, things like this are brilliant. Um, what do you think the one biggest barrier that people have for kind of attending sexual health screenings is? If you said the one thing that you feel comes up almost every time you have a conversation with someone, what, what would you say that is? Oh, gosh. Uh, I think it's there's a lot of shame, so obviously mm. when you come to a sexual health clinic, you you know, we're going to ask you questions about the sort of sex you've been having, how many partners you've had, et cetera, et cetera. And the only reason we're asking those things are to assess your risk. Um, but I think people feel we're going to judge them or, you know, fear about getting their bodies out on show, um, fear of knowing. So a lot of people would rather just pretend it's, you know, put their head in the sand for want of a better word um and ignore the issue um so if people don't have any symptoms they presume they're okay uh, which we can come back to that bit but um yeah I think just shame and and lack of knowledge and not understanding what the service is if you've never been and so in therapy quite often we talk about avoidance being the idea of kind of coping by not coping yeah so do you think that actually for a lot of people the anxiety about attending a sexual health screening or the kind of anticipation of that might be scarier than the actual experience of oh, going? without a doubt. Um, I think we mentioned on the um, Insta Live, didn't we, that, you know, people often come in from the waiting room looking terrified, nervous, and then 
you know, 99.9% of the time, they should be leaving with a smile on the face because we're not there to judge. We're there to help. Believe me, we will have heard it all. Um, mm. We're kind of unshockable. Um, so, yeah, just be honest. Be open. We're here to help you. We'd never judge. Um, and, you know, there's nothing that we can't manage. Literally nothing, I don't think. That's so good to hear. And uh, and again, you know, if, if we can't help that specific problem, for example, if we diagnose you with vaginismus or whatever, we can, you know, signpost you where to get help. But we're sometimes a good port of call to open up that conversation or erectile problems or whatever. We want with the people who would manage it in a sexual health department, but we could at least talk to whoever it was about it to start with. And, you know, I think once you've spoken to someone about it, then makes it easier to talk to the next person. 100% opening the door to yeah. starting that conversation about sex means that it's always easier to kind of revisit or go back to that. Yeah, definitely. So you would say one of the main things that is holding people back is that kind of fear of being judged. And I think that that's such a big problem in our society in general when it comes to sex and something I 100% kind of come across as a, a therapist a lot that yeah. idea of performance pressure or being judged by a partner or not satisfying a partner or what will they say or am I going to be good enough and that yeah. comparison culture which I think comes from social media a lot as well that idea that we're kind of looking at everybody else's Instagram photos and yeah they look happy and perfect in their yeah. relationship so we assume that they must be having great sex yeah and actually that might not be the case um so and I think that really was something that I wanted to kind of um talk about as well was this idea that we would be able to tell by looking at someone if they're the type of person or the kind of person that might have an STI yeah and how that really isn't the case no and I, I hear that a lot um well I don't sleep with those sorts of people and that, you know, if you want to get my goat up, that's how you do it. There is no mm-hmm. such sort of person. You know, I think people have this myth and conception that if you have a sexually transmitted infection, you look a certain way or you act a certain way. And that's not true. So, you know, for example, I've got HIV patients who've only ever had sex with one person. Um, perfectly respectable people. You know, it's not it shouldn't be a matter of shame or anything stigmatizing if you have a sexually transmitted infection what's important is that you address it we deal with it and then we try and stop transmission to other people um and you know some people have had sex with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and have never had an STI so sometimes it is a little bit um luck of the dice I suppose throw the dice um and again you can't you really you know you really can't tell and we talked on the Instagram live that all sexually transmitted infections can be asymptomatic, so not have any symptoms at all. So that includes HIV, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, warts, herpes. All these things can be present in the body and you may have no idea. Um, and also I hear a lot of people, they'll get together with someone, they'll use condoms to start with, and then they'll say, but we don't anymore, which is lovely. And they say, because I trust them. And again, it it's not an issue of trust it's an issue of have you both been tested before you stop using condoms? Because, you know, I love the fact that people trust each other. I think that's so important in a relationship. But what's really important is that you both go and get screened before you stop using the condoms. Mm. And so basically it's a way of future-proofing and protecting yourselves and just saying, okay, well, if we do both trust each other, then we'll both go for 
and sexual health screening. Yeah. We'll know our status is. And if everything is okay, we will stop using condoms. And if not, we'll take the antibiotics or we'll manage this responsibly. Yeah. And then we will talk about what to do going forward. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. And so, and it's, I think it's just about being mature and, you know, adult and talking about it. And, uh, you know, again, we hark back to the fact that we, we find it difficult to open up those conversations. Um, you know, the number of people who say they can't negotiate condoms or they find it difficult to talk about. Well, if you're getting into bed with someone and they're putting a penis into your vagina, surely you need to be able to have that level of respect and communication that you can discuss a condom. Mm. And I suppose the thing is, it's quite um, representative of how we don't really know how to talk about sex in general. Yeah. And so sometimes I think a lot of people have that fear about, okay, well, how do we have the contraception conversation? How do we have the safe sex conversation? Yeah. It will be a bit embarrassing, or I don't want to, or I'd just rather not. And that's actually when people... Um, trip up or find that they have a problem and what they're left with is the feeling that they wish they had yeah and yeah and I think it's a fear of rejection as well isn't it you know if you say oh or bring something up that you feel is uncomfortable um you don't want to be rejected you know you've got this lovely partner that you want to have sex with why would you ruin it by talking about something as dreadful as STI screening it's not a romantic conversation granted Um, But it is something that I think we need to discuss more. Mm. It's so easy to be screened. So the four things that we screen for if you come to a sexual health clinic is HIV and syphilis, which are done on a blood test, and then gonorrhea and chlamydia if you're a man, be done on a urine, um, and a female, um, often just a self-taken vulvar vaginal swab. So in the majority of cases, if you just want screening tests, you don't have to get your genitals out for anybody to look at. Um, It's very easy you know, you can go to the toilets and do your own tests. Um, So again, I think that puts a lot of people off is the fear of um, having to expose their bodies. Um, And majority of cases that doesn't need to happen. The only time we'd examine someone is if there were, if someone had a symptom that we needed to look at. Mm, And I think that I really, what I really like about kind of busting these myths is so often um, what I experience in the therapy room is that lots of people have fears which are based on, say, kind of playground banter yeah. or playground talk or playground ideas. Yeah. And what that does is it cements those ideas early before that person actually has kind of accurate adult factual information. But yeah. they're the ideas that stick because at the time we hear them. And they're horrifying. might... They're absolutely horrifying. We might not necessarily kind of critically assess them like we might do when we are an adult or when we have had our own sexual experiences. And so we can kind of work out which ones we think are more realistic or representative and and not. And I think um, that understanding that it's not kind of really invasive procedures or feeling really scared about having to kind of be naked in front of someone else is really important but also um now you can get sexual health screenings by post isn't that right yes you can yep so the majority of places now will send you out postal kits again it depends where you are but it's definitely worth looking at um if you didn't want to physically go and um visit a clinic I would say don't be scared about going to see a clinic though because sometimes other things come up in the conversation that um the healthcare professional can help you with that you may not sometimes I don't think people realize it's always an issue um but it's sometimes just a good person to talk to you know users for a, a chat as well 
Um, we're not just there, just hand out a swab and do your blood. We're there because we want to help and care for you. And I think a massive part of that is sexual health. You know, we know that the biggest sex organ in the body is our brains, is mm. our minds. Mm. And so a big part of that is how we think and feel about sex and how we think about sex. And as strange as it sounds, thinking about thinking about sex yeah. changes the way that we have sex. Yeah. Yeah, and so if we are feeling perhaps quite, um, we're feeling good about ourselves, we're self-confident, we feel quite secure in ourselves, we might feel in a stronger place to say, actually, you know, I'm only going to have sex if we use a condom because I'm someone who's quite firm with my boundaries or I feel good about myself at the moment or I want to kind of respect that. Whereas if we are feeling a bit insecure or we um, have been struggling a bit recently, we might not be feeling as strong in our conviction as we do normally. So we also understand that our mental health and well-being, our relationships, everything else we have going on in the context of the rest of our lives impacts our sexuality. And I'd really encourage people to think about why they're having sex as well. Um, You know, I think sometimes we use sex a bit like some people use food um, as almost a coping mechanism And if you're having the sort of sex where afterwards you're left feeling empty, you know, I think we need to sort of put some um, measures in place to try and stop that happening. I mean, some people like having lots of sex with multiple partners. I have absolutely no issue with any sort of sex that people want to have. But I think a lot of the time we're doing it looking for something else. We're looking for that intimacy. And sometimes I think we go about it the wrong way. I mean, obviously, we're not psychotherapists like you guys, um, but sometimes it's just, it's almost just talking about it openly. Some people have never had that conversation with someone mm. and it can just sometimes start the the cogs in the head whirring a bit, I suppose. Absolutely. And, you know, I get quite a lot of referrals from um, sexual health doctors like yourself and sexual health clinics. And as you said, it tends to be perhaps one of the first places that people go, perhaps if they have symptoms. Mm. And a lot of people might feel nervous about going to their family doctor or their local GP because they're nervous about um, it being where all of their family go or that they know know the person who kind of works there. And so there is a kind of safety, I suppose, perhaps in going to a clinic where the word sex is above the door. And the opening up of that conversation, the starting of that conversation might be the first time that someone's ever talked about sex. Yeah. And I mean, obviously there's advanced GPs are fabulous beasts. (laughs) Um, And, you know, obviously they can talk about sex um, sometimes as well as we can. But I think the difference is if you come to a sexual health clinic is you're expecting to talk about sex. Mm. We're expecting to talk to you about sex. Whereas I think as a GP, sometimes if you're not confident enough to open up that conversation, it it can feel a bit stilted. Um, And equally for the GP, you know, they go from dealing with a cough to then talking about sex. It can sometimes feel, you know, it depends how open and easy they are about talking about it. And sexual health clinic is always fully confidential. So we'd never write to your GP about anything unless we had your consent. So, for example, if you had had an affair or something and you didn't want to go and see your family doctor you could come to a sexual health clinic, it'd be completely separate from your GP um, notes. Mm. And I suppose it's not even necessarily about the GP in question, it's about the person who wants to attend the appointment's feelings and thoughts and fears about yeah. what potentially that might look like. And 
they might not know what that would look like when they get there. Yeah. But it, it's how, it's the approach, um, it's the approach of that. Yeah. And some of the um, sexually transmitted infections are, you said, some are asymptomatic, some are symptomatic, but some of them also have longer lasting implications for health. And I yeah. wanted to, to ask you about that as well. Yeah, so so first of all, I know we touched briefly on this clean, dirty issue. So first of all, mm. I think a lot of people don't understand that we, the majority of the population will carry sexually transmitted viruses, whether we like it or not, and whether we know it or not. So um, about 70% of us will have one type of the herpes virus, so the cold sore or genital herpes on board, that's a sexually transmitted infection, only one in five of us will know that we've got it. So all these people who walk around going, I don't have anything, I'm clean. You know, you don't know if you're carrying the herpes virus the majority of the time. And the same with the wart viruses. So 95% of us will have a type of wart virus by the time, you know, through our lifetime. And some of those will potentially be sexually transmitted ones. Um majority of the time we clear the wart virus the herpes virus once you have it it stays on board um does very little really to be concerned about um with regards to gonorrhea and chlamydia they're bacterial infections if they're left untreated they can sometimes cause infection further up so in women can cause problems with fertility because they can cause scarring and inflammation so that's why we're so keen to get those treated early um, mm. syphilis again is a bacterial infection we're seeing a big increase in numbers um, of syphilis cases that can cause a whole myriad of problems um, and I guess worryingly we, we call it in our field the great mimicker because it can literally mimic everything and anything from strange rashes hair loss swollen testicles um, joint problems you know um, headaches it can literally do anything so I think that's what's potentially frightening is if this becomes more and more of an issue we just need to be aware and get and for screening to be done and at the moment within the I think when people go and they say oh I've had bloods done they presume as a doctor we're checking for everything I guarantee Mm. unless you've been to a sexual health clinic or they specifically said we're going to check for HIV and syphilis you won't have you won't have been so I think that's really important to know because I think people, um, I think when you have bloods done, the misconception is that we're checking for literally everything and that's just not possible. Um, but again, syphilis is treatable, but we need to pick it up and know it's there because it can go into what we call a latent phase and then cause problems late on in someone's life, causing problems with their hearts, problems with their brains, causing dementia, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so potentially could be a big problem if there's a large swathe of people who um, don't get tested and it goes unchecked. And again, lots of people will never have symptoms of syphilis. Um, HIV, I'm sure you know most people have heard of. It's a virus um, that you pick up through, well, used to be blood-borne products, but obviously we test those now. So mainly through sex or needle sharing. Again, needle exchanges have cut transmission of that now so mainly it's sexually sexually spread um you can you can transmit it from mother to child but again that's very very rare in this country because we test all mothers at 12 weeks um for hiv and syphilis unless they opt out um so yeah transmission from mother to fetus is very rare in this country um 
again, it's manageable. So people with hate, living with HIV now can have a normal um, life expectancy. You can go on and have healthy children. Um, I think we talked about it on the Instagram Live, the really important message that we're very excited about within our field, which came out last year, was um, you equals you or undetectable equals untransmissible. In a nutshell, this basically means somebody who's taking antiretroviral treatment, so HIV therapy, um, will not pass the virus on to their sexual partners. So they're uninfectious. And that's really important um, thing to grasp, I think, because out of all the sexually transmitted infections, by far HIV has the biggest um, stigma associated with it. And that makes me really sad because, you know, if you've got HIV, that is it, you've got it. There is no cure at the moment. But again, it's manageable. And, um, you know, I say to people, actually, if you're having sex with someone who has HIV and is on treatment, they're safer than having sex with someone who, you d who doesn't know their status. Because it's the people who don't know their status who have HIV virus replicating in their body who are passing it on. And at the moment, they estimate there's about 8,000, 7 to 8,000 people in the UK um, with HIV who are undiagnosed. So they're the people that we want to get tested, get on treatment, and then we can end the epidemic. Mm. And do you guys have recommendations for how often people should be getting tested, thinking about being tested, attending appointments? Is it between every partner? Is it every three months, every six months? What um, Are there any kind of general guidelines that people might find helpful so I think um, to kind of hold in mind? In If you're, again, it depends on how much sex you're having with, you know, how many different partners. I think if you're a man who's having sex with men and you're having lots of different changes in partner come every three months, um, and I say the men who have sex with men because they're a slightly higher risk group for um, having STIs, um, and there's no judgment in that. It's just, you know, it's because of the sex uh, people have as to how easily STIs are transmitted. Um, but again, if you're a heterosexual person and you're having lots and lots of partners come every three, six months, I think every 12 months, if you're, if you're young, free, happy, single, changing partners, I think would be more than reasonable to come every 12 months. Um, but again, if you've never been, you know, lots of people get to the age of 30 and they've never been tested. So I think if you've never been tested, crack on. Um, if you have been tested recently, again, just, you know, be sensible and assess your risk. Don't get over stressed about it because I guess it's a balance between people getting very frantic and worried and coming every single time they have sex and then other people who never attend. So it's obviously a balance. Um so it's decreasing the anxiety of people who are very anxious, but maybe giving those who don't give two hoots a little bit of a kick up the bomb, maybe. Yeah, and, and the reality is if you're managing the sex that you're having by being safe, yeah. you know, we know that condoms are the most reliable form of contraception for managing unwanted pregnancy and sexual health yeah, I mean, um, they're, they're definitely not the most reliable contraception, but they're definitely the most, um, the, the best way we have of preventing STIs. So contraception is mm. kind of a different issue. So even if you're, even if you've got the coil or the implant in place, or whatever, we'd always advise that you use a condom, especially with new partners to prevent STIs. But again, mm. they're not 100% because they don't cover, you know, they cover the shaft of the penis. So for example, warts and herpes 
And syphilis, to a certain extent, can be transmitted from, you know, other areas, sort of skin-skin contact, etc. So really, we are just saying, people, be aware, kind of get tested, don't be scared about getting tested. If you are, presumably it's fine to go to an appointment and say, God, I feel a bit nervous about today, or I feel oh, a bit definitely. scared. And, definitely. And you won't have heard, won't have never heard that before. <laughs> no, no. I'd be, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you could probably say anything. I mean, you know, I'm old in the tooth now, but, um, you know, I don't think there's, it. it's very difficult, I think, to be shockable, I suppose. Um, but that doesn't devalue how you feel about yourself. Um, mm. You know, everyone feels their own personal shame or stigma or whatever. Um, but yeah, just get yourself through the door and yeah, just talk, talk to us. And I think that's so important because I can't, you know, I can just imagine and I know having spoken to so many people about these kind of subjects that so many people are kind of paralysed in that fear of finding out and Mm. what that might mean and, you know, what that means about them. And that's one of the points that I really wanted to kind of talk to you about was this idea of, you know, this word that drives us both mad yeah. um, is clean, you know, a clean partner yeah. or that someone is clean. Because the biggest problem about that is it infers that if you do have something, you're dirty. Yeah. And it is just untrue. Yeah. And as we said, you know, someone could have had sex with 100 partners or one partner yeah. and the person who's had 100 partners might not have anything. And the person who slept with one person might have picked an STI up. Yeah. Now, it, there isn't any health, you know, health does not discriminate in terms of that. It's just, as you said, that they might have had a different type of sex. That person might not have used any protection and the other person might have used protection every time. Exactly. And so to label people in this way is in itself really damaging. And yeah. so talking to people about how they talk about these things, thinking about the terms that they use. You know, they might be talking to a friend and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, regaling a story about someone who is dirty and that person's actually just had an STI check and found out that they've got something and they will then feel really ashamed and will shut down, might not tell their friend and will internalise some of that negativity. And so if we can all be more aware of how we hold those conversations, actually that could have a really big impact on people's sexuality and having safer sex yeah and you know the word clean you know when we're talking about sex it's not a matter of personal hygiene um Mm. you know the word clean to me should be about having had a wash not about who has or hasn't got um a bug on board whether it be a virus or a bacteria um and again it helps nobody it just promotes this self-stigmatizing shame bubble that we seem to love flogging ourselves with, I think, sometimes. And the anxiety that people sometimes feel, um, I guess we talked a bit about, or you mentioned earlier, sexual dysfunctions, and people might, you might be the first person that they come and come and talk to about that. And what we yeah. also know about sexual dysfunctions is that people get really anxious and anxiety can interrupt their sexual functioning. So yeah. conditions like vaginismus or conditions like erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Um, and that also pain might be something that comes into that. So you might see people that are experiencing sexual pain or discomfort. Yeah. Now, sometimes it might be to do with an infection, but sometimes there could be something else going on. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, pain, uh, problems with ejaculating or erections or, you know, sexual assaults, 
through our, I think most GU centres will do this now, is, you know, through our history taking, we always ask about previous sexual assault. Sometimes people have never told anybody. And because you ask that question, then that comes out, you know, that's that's things that we can help with, signposts to, et cetera, and domestic abuse as well. So we always ask in Rotherham, do you feel safe at home? So it, it's almost, it's, it's a holistic look at that whole thing or as holistic as we can be within, you know, the setting that we offer. Um, so it, we really are just trying to care about that whole aspect of sex. It's not just, do you have chlamydia? Yes, no, kick you out the door. It's, you know, a time for someone just to talk. And sometimes it helps, you know, talking to someone who you've never met rather than your GP who you might mm. have a lot of history with. You know, most people don't know me when they come in to speak to me. So sometimes it's nice because um, I'm a I'm a nobody. They're probably never going to see me again. And if they do, I promise I won't recognise them in Tesco's. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I think just, you know, users for what we can offer. And again, if we can't offer specific help for that, problem with consent we could write to the GP and then at least that conversation's been opened for them it's a signpost yeah and I think that's the thing isn't it I find as a therapist you know what works and why we have such kind of strict boundaries around being a therapist and um, our kind of code of ethics and conduct is that we are separate from the rest of that person's life yeah and so it works because of that it's safe yeah it's very safe Mm. it's a very safe place we're confidential we will not judge. We literally just want to help as much as we can, you know, with as, you know, yeah, help as much as we can, I think would be a, a good line. And what I love about that is that you were saying that that holistic approach is, and, you know, that's very much kind of the approach that I have in my work is this idea of bringing sexual wellness and sexual well-being into line with other aspects of our health, yeah. our mental health, our physical health, and kind of putting it where it should be, which is alongside rather than as the separate entity, which kind of historically it feels like it's always been the kind of hidden part of our health or the embarrassing part or the shameful part. And I think bringing it all into line and fitting it all together and being like, oh yeah, our sexuality does impact the rest of my life, how I think about myself, feel about myself, how I act, how I am with people. Recognizing that is is really important, but we just want people to look after themselves yeah. in a sexually healthy way and have the best sex they can have. Ultimately, that's what I'd love for the world is that you know everyone's having happy, good sex. So you know it's not it's not uncommon that I talk about masturbation with females, and you know just it. I guess just opening up that topic. We're not just there just to do a screen. One myth that I just want to correct, um, if anyone has watched the sex clinic, is. On the sex clinic, we um, did tests on men by putting cotton swabs down the urethra, so the wee-wee tube. Um, We don't do that unless somebody has symptoms, for example. So I know there's a myth out there that there's the umbrella test, and I think that puts a lot of men off coming. The only reason we did what we did on the sex clinic was because it was an hour turnaround, the test. So in a normal situation... In every other clinic in the land, pretty much, you'd be going, providing a urine sample, and we send that off to the labs. So I think, so my one issue with the sex clinic um, being on the telly is I think it maybe knocked us back a few steps with that whole myth about the umbrella. So we used to do a lot more swabbing, um, but our tests are much better now, etc. So um, it's no longer necessary to um, 
cause that sort of discomfort to a man in the vast mm. majority of cases. And so you don't have to be scared about those kind of urban myths oh, exactly. about attending appointments. And, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, think, I think, you know, as we kind of touched on it earlier, but as rational adults, we can all say, oh yeah, well, that sounds like an urban myth or, you know, that yeah. might have been the case 10 years ago. But still, we do hold on to those anxieties. Yeah. We can't really let them go. Yeah. Um, particularly when it's around the topic of sex or sexuality because we don't check them out a lot of the time. We don't kind of go home and speak to our partners or our parents or our siblings or our friends or our work colleagues and say, yeah. hey, when you last went for an STI check, did this happen? So because we don't get that checking it out um, kind of process, yeah. we tend to hold on to outdated information a lot of the time. Yeah. So that's why... You know, I really, really wanted to talk to you and kind of talk about what it's like to have a sexual health check yeah. now, you know, currently, the different ways in which people can do that and what people can think about and be aware of. Yeah. And I think as well, you know, I think I think sex education is definitely getting better. It's definitely better than when I was at school. Um, and I'd love to encourage more parents to talk openly because, you know, if you are a parent, you're listening, you're the best port of call for your children because you know them much better than anybody else and you know when they're ready to ask the questions because children develop at such different times and what I would say is if they do ask you something that you feel a bit embarrassed about it's okay to take some time and go oh um come on we answer that later or daddy or whatever just think about it and but please don't shame them and shut them down because that's how we start this shame cycle of you know I don't know for example mummy why do I get an erection, for example? Don't then go, oh, oh, you know, just go, oh, uh, if you do feel embarrassed or feel a bit awkward, just think about it before you send your response. Um, and I, I just, yeah, I'd love for households to be more open and talk without that added layer of shame and sort of embarrassment and stigma. Because lots of people come to see me and they don't know how to label their own genitals um, or they've never looked at their genitals um, especially women um, or they're ashamed about the size of their labia for example or other things and actually the majority well it's incredibly rare that I see some labia that I think oh they're abnormal I think women's labia vary hugely in colour size shape etc um, but I think because we're either brought up on a diet of porn or um well, yeah, mainly porn, or we just, you know, we don't see other lady bits, do we? Mm. Um, so again, normalise yourself. There's a great, um, the wall of vagina is a good, not that it's a vagina, they're vulvas. <laughs> uh, should be the great wall of vulva, but the great wall of vagina is like um, a clay cast of hundreds of vulvas. Um, and I guarantee you'll find one that looks similar to yours if you're at all stressed. Um but again, I think that puts people off having smear tests, for example, and having screening done because they've all, they've got a shame about their own bodies. Mm. And I think it's a really good point that you make about parents because often parents don't feel empowered to have those conversations mm. or they feel under pressure to get those conversations perfectly right. Whereas actually the normality of those is, oh, well, you know, sometimes sex can be like this and sometimes mm. it can be like that. And these are the things to think about. Um, and the thing that I say to parents a lot is it is not a one-off birds and the Completely. bees conversation. Yeah. It's hundreds of those yeah. conversations. Yeah. It's including it as a topic of conversation, talking about sexual health as a part yeah. of other parts of health, yeah. it being allowed, saying to your children, you know, 
of course you can come and ask me questions I'll yeah. try my best to answer them if I can't answer them maybe we can look up the answer to that question together yeah but if you are able to be the port of call for them you are also in control of making sure they get the right information yeah. and correct information whereas Dr. Google might not offer them. No, Dr. Actually. Google is guaranteed to be wrong. There's yeah. lots of random myths and facts out there that are just completely inaccurate, like cure for herpes with white wine vinegar or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so as you said, don't make it... How many people do you know who said, oh, I remember the conversation? I mean, how dreadful is that? This shouldn't be just one conversation to cover all everything you need to know about sex. It should be part of conversation i wanted to say as well about um dr google um there's obviously you can our favorite doctor yeah our favorite doctor (laughs) you can (laughs) that's why i went to medical school for however many years (laughs) um you can buy all sorts of treatment for things over the internet which i'm very aware of and if you google treatment for gonorrhea for example it will come up and you can buy tablets online that's not the first line treatment for gonorrhea. Um, so, you know, a problem that we have as medics is we've got a big issue with antibiotic resistance. And when I say resistance, it means that the antibiotics no longer work or they don't work as well um, because the bugs get very clever and they change um, with too much antibiotic use. And so they yeah, develop resistance, so they become more difficult to treat. Um, and gonorrhea is one of these very clever bugs and we are literally on the last line of defence for treating gonorrhea. And so it's so important to know what STR you have before you go ahead and get treatment. And when you do get treatment, get the right treatment. So gonorrhea shouldn't be treated in primary care or over the clinic or in Superdrug or anywhere now because you need an injection in your bum in the majority of cases. So please don't treat yourself with oral antibiotics um, without prior advice from a doctor, ideally a sexual health doctor. And again, guidelines change all the time. So the guideline for gonorrhea only changed end of last year. So it's, you know, not all GPs, for example, will be up to date with the latest guidelines. So it's sometimes very difficult. Um, It's a minefield out there, I think, to navigate what you should be doing. But that's why we're a specialist service. So, you know, you utilise us. Mm, that's what you're there for. Yeah. Amazing. Well, that has been enormously useful. I hope everyone listening has found that useful. And for the people that have been worrying about getting a screening or thinking about their sexual health, you know, I really hope that it helps to encourage you to take up some of Naomi's advice and follow up or go in for a chat or find your local service or order a postal kit, you know, whatever you would like to do. But Naomi, I would love to know, to kind of close this sexual wellness session, what your biggest tip for sexual wellness and sexual well-being would be, your kind of big piece of advice. Oh, wow. God, you put me on the spot now. Um, I think just talk. Seriously, talking is the best thing because then talk to the right people. Talk to your partner, talk to the doctors. If you're concerned about something, just talk. Don't, you know, don't don't go on Dr. Google. Talk to someone who knows. Um, and I think the more we talk about it, the more open we're going to be. And actually by talking to whoever you choose to talk to, that might then open up a can of worms for them and then they might talk to someone else and... You know, I think the more open we can be about sex, 
the I think that's the that's the crux of it all is communication and education that was perfect thank you I couldn't agree more I was just nodding along yeah 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 yeah, yeah. difficult when you can't see who you're talking to (laughs) I know you can't stop me talking about sex that's the problem um well this has been the sexual wellness sessions and Kate Moyle with my guest today Dr Naomi Sutton thank you so much for coming along it's been my pleasure I hope you enjoyed this episode of the sexual wellness sessions if you'd like to join us for more conversations you can click subscribe on either apple or spotify podcasts and if you have a moment please leave us a review